Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening to all of you. I'm Mete Bukarjola, and you're listening to ICANN's music theory program, The Shape of Music. Welcome back to The Shape of Music, a five-part series where we take you through the magic of music, how it works, and what makes it sound so good. Over the last two episodes, we familiarized ourselves with two of the most fundamental parts of music theory, rhythm and melody. Rhythm, we learned, is the heartbeat of music. It's what keeps it together. But a pure rhythm can sound a bit stale. And that's where melody comes in. It gives rhythm notes so that it has a more expressive identity. Today, we're going to look more into the technical business and discuss how we read and play music by examining the keyboard. Stay tuned today for a special guest to help us learn about the keyboard. But before we move on to our new lesson, let's recap what we learned last time, melody. Melody has two ingredients, rhythm and pitch. We learned about rhythm in the first episode, and pitch is how high or low a sound is. One way we can visualize this is by thinking of a dinner plate. On our imaginary dinner plate are meat and potatoes. This represents melody, it's the main attraction. But as great as those meat and potatoes are, they wouldn't be able to be our dinner if it wasn't for the imaginary plate, which represents rhythm. See, rhythm is the less appreciated part of music, but its function is essential too. Let me demonstrate how they work together. If we just had a plate, then we wouldn't be having dinner. Here is what pure rhythm would sound like. Likewise, if we just had our meat and potatoes without a plate, that wouldn't be a great dinner either. The food would be all over the place, and it would be pretty sloppy. Here's what pure melody, or pitch, sounds like. The great part about our dinner, and about music, is that we don't have to choose one over the other. We have plates, and we have food, and when we put it all together, it sounds a whole lot more enjoyable. You might have even heard this tune before, perhaps in one of history's most famous ballets, The Nutcracker. The last order of business before we move on to today's learning is your submissions from last episode. I asked you to record yourselves playing or singing a melody and email the video to sarah at allclassical.org. Here are your submissions. Our first submission comes all the way from Chicago by Elora. Here's her melody. When I'm a tree, I'm a cordial. I'm a wind, I'm a entree. It's what's in the tree. That was some of the most expressive stuff I've heard all week. Thanks, Elora. You just made my day. Our next submission is from Isa in Beaverton with a tune we're all familiar with. Twinkle, 
twinkle, little star, how I wonder what you are, up above a world so high. Lastly, we've got Ozan from Houston with a little melody on the piano. Thanks everyone for all your marvelous melodies. So now, let's get into some new content. We need to talk next about how all of this information about rhythms and melodies gets recorded for a piece of music. Now we're going to pivot from learning how to listen to learning how to play music. There are so many combinations of rhythms and pitches that there must be a way to organize them so we can read and play music, right? Right. Luckily for us, some really smart people hundreds of years ago came up with instruments that make it easy for us to learn the details of music theory. The easiest and most useful instrument to understand is the keyboard. Let's start with a bit of keyboard or piano anatomy and history. A piano at its core is a big box with dozens of tiny hammers and strings inside of it. Each hammer is tied to a key on the piano, and the way you press on that key translates to how the hammer hits the string. When the hammer comes in contact with the string, a glorious sound comes out. That's how the piano makes music. If you're following along on the website, you should see a link to a video of me explaining how my own piano works. I took apart the outside of my piano so you can see all the little hammers and strings on the inside. Check it out if you want to actually see the science behind how the piano works. Now, if you go to our website, iCanRadio.org slash Shape of Music, you'll find guiding content for this third episode on the keyboard. There's a link to an online interactive keyboard so you can follow along as we learn. Let's start with what you notice right off the bat. There are two types of keys, black keys and white keys. If you count them up, you'll find that there are five black keys and seven white keys. Think back to the last episode when we talked briefly about scales. We learned that our musical alphabet consists of seven letter notes and five accidentals. What you see on the piano is the exact layout of that. Isn't that convenient? We can break the black keys up into two groups, the set of two and the set of three. To remember how they're organized, I like to call the set of two black keys bunny ears and the set of three black keys chicken feet. These keys represent what are called the spirituals. The reason they are called that is because they have a powerful haunting quality with historical significance. 300 years ago, African slaves were brought over to America. These slaves were not allowed to use the white keys, they could only play black keys. 
With these five black keys, slaves came up with inspirational tunes which captured the suffering they were going through. Here is one tune you may recognize that is actually believed to be based off of a West African slave chant. Try to feel the amazement in how just these five black keys are composing this glorious melody. If you want to learn more about these spirituals and early African American music, check out this video by Wintley Phipps. This pattern of bunny ears and chicken feet, as I like to call it, repeats up and down the keyboard until you get seven sets or seven octaves. There's that word again! An octave is one of the organizational tools for the keyboard. For the C major scale we looked at last time, the octave represents the space between the first and the last notes. If you have the interactive keyboard pulled up, try playing an octave by playing middle C and the C above that. Remember, in the keyboard there are seven white keys and five black keys, each key with a different pitch. Since this set of seven white and five black keys is repeated seven times up and down the keyboard, that means our modern keyboard has seven octaves. That is a lot of notes over a huge range. For reference, here is the lowest note on the keyboard, followed by the highest note. And now, just for fun, Here's what it sounds like to go all the way from the lowest note on the keyboard to the highest note, all in a row. There you have it, all 88 keys in a row. I feel like a lot of the time, it's easy to forget to appreciate the huge range the piano has because of its relatively small size. Since everything repeats seven times, we've only got 12 unique tones. Think of it like you're copy and pasting an octave. You take one octave, you copy it, and then you paste it six more times until you have seven octaves, and that's basically what the layout of the piano is. Let's now take a look at some of the other intervals, spaces smaller than the octave. The smallest note interval is called the half step. It is the space between one note and the note immediately next to it on the keyboard. It sounds like this. You can try it too by playing any two notes that are right next to each other. Most of the time it'll be a white key and a black key. If you know the theme to the movie Jaws, you'll recognize this. As you just heard, the main theme for that movie is made using the two notes E and F, which are a half step apart. The next smallest interval is the whole step. 
as you would imagine, it is the same interval as two half steps. Here's an example. Try it out on the virtual keyboard. These two intervals, the half step and the whole step, make up two of the most important scales in music. The first scale is the major scale. Starting on any note, it goes whole step, whole step, half step, whole step, whole step, whole step, half step. Try this combination on any note and you'll get the major scale for that note. Try the C major scale. It's the easiest to do because its major scale is just the white keys starting on C. Okay, we start on C, then we go to D, which is a whole step, go from D to E, another whole step, from E to F is a half step because E is right next to F, there are no black keys in between, and then another whole step from F to G, another one from G to A, one more whole step from A to B, and the last interval is a half step from B back to C. Here's the whole scale again. Then we've got the next most important scale, the minor scale. Starting on any note, the steps go whole, half, whole, whole, half, whole, whole. Starting again on C, the C minor scale sounds like this. This time, there are three accidentals, or black keys. E flat, the black key before E, A flat, the black key before A, and B flat, the black key before B. One of the most important concepts of this episode, however, is that the octave is the most important interval. In music, eight is the number of completion. Whether you've got a major scale or a minor scale, both of them have eight notes, and they span the octave. Here are a few other scales that are fun to know about. The chromatic scale is made up entirely of half steps. It sounds like this. When I showed you what all of the notes on the piano sound like in a row, that was just a chromatic scale. The pentatonic scale is made up of just the five spiritual, or black, keys. One of the more groovier scales is the jazz scale. One last fun scale is the whole tone scale. As the name suggests, it is made up of only whole steps. Think of each of these scales like an item on a menu. They each have their unique musical flavor, and which scale you use depends on the situation. For example, if you were going for a more mysterious sound, you might choose a jazz scale. Or if you were going for a mellow sound, you might choose a minor scale. Alright, so we've talked about black and white keys, intervals, and scales. Now, the next concept is chords.
A chord is many notes played at once, like this. The most basic chords in music are made up of two intervals, the minor third and the major third. A minor third is made up of a whole step plus a half step. Here's the whole step, and here's the half step on top of that. This is the minor third interval. The reason it's called a minor third is because the interval is built on the third note of the minor scale. The next interval is the major third. It's two whole steps because, as you might have guessed, it is based off of the third note of a major scale. With that knowledge, now we can build some chords. The first chord is called the major triad. A triad is a chord with three notes. It's made up of a minor third on top of a major third. It sounds like this. The next chord is the minor triad. It is made up of a major third on top of a minor third. It sounds like this. The relationship between the minor and major triads is the same as the relationship between the minor and major scales. The minor ones sound dark and scarier, while the major ones sound brighter and happier. A few more chords for bonus trivia are the diminished triad, which is two minor thirds stacked on top of each other, like this, and the augmented triad, which is two major thirds on top of one another. If you've seen the movie Star Wars, this is that chord at the start of all the Star Wars movies. That's the end of my notes. Looks like we've made it to the end of today's episode. Congrats on staying with us this long. I'm proud of each and every one of you. We're gonna need some review though. Let me bring in a friend to help us recap. Dr. Anne Young, uh, would you please introduce yourself? Yes, Meta. I am a uh, piano teacher at this point. I have uh, studied conducting and I also played French horn as a long ago band member. So there's a wide range of experiences that bring one to a point uh, and all of that comes to bear whenever you're working in a private teaching situation because you're trying to create a breadth of experience rather than just a single focus. Of course, yeah. And it's cool that you mentioned that because the focus of this episode is actually on the keyboard. I wanted to kind of discuss this idea of the keyboard with you. Now, what we talk about in this episode is the idea of these spiritual black keys What do those keys, those black and white keys, that contrast, what does that mean to you? What it means to me is a symbol that's very easy to recognize. It's true that whenever you see a, a keyboard drawn, even if a child has never played a keyboard, you kind of relate in a certain sense that that's a musical idea. 
you know, it's a very old design, so to speak, like twos and threes. So it's an easy way to relate to a connection to the scales and the structures that we then apply to creating the sounds of music. Of course, yeah. And those twos and threes, that's about those sets of black keys. In this episode, I kind of teach them as bunny ears for the set of two and then chicken feet for the set of three black keys. Mm -hmm. The black keys themselves, as you pointed out, have a uh, scale. It's a, basically a pentatonic scale. Many melodies fall into that sound. And the white keys, which when you look at a keyboard, it's the, the contrast that lets you know the orientation of where you are. Because if you just see a row of white keys Hello, it's confusing. <laughs> but the black keys definitely create the system so that you feel where you are. So the next concept we learned was the idea of scales. And we talked mostly about the major and minor scales. We touched on, as you mentioned, the pentatonic scale. We also touched on the idea of intervals. Um, we focused mostly on the octave. As you know, eight in music is the number of completion. Before we wrap it up, do you have any final message to uh, give to our young listeners? Yes, uh, music is a language. And as a language, I think the richness of it and the fact that it can change for every generation is a powerful incentive to explore it and to participate with it and to reach toward what the meaning can be. And it's very personal and individual as well as magnificently universal. Yes, I 100% agree. And I think that is a great note to wrap up this episode on. For next week, there's another short project that could get you featured on our next episode. Record yourself talking about one thing you learned this episode. It can be about black and white keys, scales, intervals, chords, or whatever else you learned. And it doesn't even have to be from this episode. If you want to talk about rhythm or melody, that's great too. Once you've recorded the clip, please email it to sarah at allclassical.org. This episode was written and recorded by me and produced by Sarah Zwinklis with music by Nathaniel Wyvern, Scott Holmes, Poddington Bear, and me. Special thanks to Sarah for helping out with the outline for this episode and to Dr. Ann Young for guest starring. Thank you so much for listening. I'm Mette Bakarjola, and I will see you all next time on The Shape of Music where we will lunge into the color of sound, how the ways we play music change how we hear it. <laughs>